warm welcome to all listeners. Indie Stories is one of a kind podcast. It brings the best in South Asian short fiction stories that define us socially and culturally. Real masterpieces created by legendary storytellers. Stories are indeed a big part of our cultural heritage. Today I bring a story written by Mulkrajanan a path-breaking novelist and writer. Born in Punjab in 1905, he broke many barriers, earning a doctorate in philosophy from Cambridge University in 1929. He was a member of the Bloomsbury Group, which included many bright minds of the 20th century like E.M. Foster, John Maynard Keynes, and Virginia Woolf. He was also a close friend of T.S. Eliot, Bertrand Russell, George Orwell, and Picasso, and a founder member of the Progressive Writers Association. Anand published 13 novels and nine collections of stories. He sharply focused on the lives of the poor, helpless victims of the caste system, impoverished and exploited folks which made him a writer with a mission. Even the title of his novels showed his social commitment, titles like Untouchable, published in 1935, and Kuli, published in 1936. Anand was the first Indian to write high-quality fiction in English, the language of the ruling class. His success opened avenues for writers like R.K. Narayan, Ahmad Ali, Raja Rao, and many others. Today, we have world-class novelists like Salman Rushdie, Vikram Seth, and Amitabh Ghosh are a testament to the legacy that Anand left behind. After spending many years in England, Anand returned to India in 1947. He planned to write a seven-volume autobiography of which he completed and published four volumes. Anand won many honors, including International Peace Prize, Padma Bhushan, and Sahit Academy Award. He died in 2004. When it comes to short stories by Mulkraj Anand, there's a wide choice and selecting one title is problematic. What we must start somewhere. I have chosen his story, The Liar, about a hunter who lives in a village and is despised by his employer and other folks as a liar. But his lies are a way of finding his identity and discovering meaning in his life. Let us listen to this story. Mulkraj Anan, the liar. Labhu, the old shikari of my village, was a born liar. Therefore he had won the reputation of being the best short storyteller in our parts. And though a sweeper of low caste, he was honored by all and sundry. He was tolerated even to the extent of being given a seat at the foot of the banyan tree. And my mother did not insist too harshly on the necessity of my taking a bath to purify myself every time I had been seen listening 
to one of his uncanny tales with the other village boys. Labu was a thin little man with the glint of a lens and the glide of an arrow. His wiry, weather-beaten frame must have had immense reserves of energy to judge by the way he could chase stags up the steep crags of the hills behind our village and run abreast of the bay mare of Subedar Deep Singh to whose household he was attached as a shikari, except some English official, a rich white merchant or a guest of the Subedar engaged him for a season. It was perhaps this wonderful physical agility of his that had persuaded him to adopt the profession of a shikari. Labu had also a sensitive, dark face of which the lower lip trembled as it pronounced the first accents of a poignant verse or the last words of a gruesome hunting story. And it was a strange spell that his tragic verses and weird stories cost on me that made me his devoted follower through childhood. He taught me the way to track all the wild animals and he taught me how to concoct a cock and bull story to tell my father if I had to make an excuse for not being at home during the reign of the hot sun. His teaching was of course by example as I was rather a critical pupil. Labu, I would say, I'm sure it is impossible to track any prey when you are half up the side of a hillock. Acha, he would say, I will show you. Stand still and listen. I did so, and we both heard a pebble drop. Up he darted on the stony bridge in the direction whence the sound had come jumping from crack to crack, securing a precarious foothold on a small stone here and sure one on a boulder there, till he was steering through a flock of sheep towards a little gully where a ram had taken shelter in a cave, secure in the belief that it would escape its pursuer. All right, I would say, you may have been able to track this ram, but I don't believe that yarn of yours about the devil ram you saw when you were hunting with the Subedar. I swear by God Almighty, he said, it is true. The Subedar will tell you that he saw this terrible apparition with me. It was a beast about the size of an elephant, even eyes as big as hen's eggs and beard as long as that of Malvi Shadin, the priest of the mosque, not only henna dyed and red, but blue-black. It had huge ears, as big as elephants, which did not flap, however, but pricked up like the ears of the Subhidar's horse. It had a nose like that of the wife of the missionary, Sahib, and it had square jaws which showed teeth almost as big as the chunks of marble which lie outside the temple as it laughed at the Subedar. It appeared unexpectedly near the peak of Devi Parbat. The Subedar and I had ascended about 12,000 feet up the mountain in search of game when suddenly out of the spirit world 
that always waits about us in the living air, there was the clattering of stones and boulders, the whistling of sharp winds, the gurgling of thunder and a huge crack on the side of the mountain. Then an enormous figure seemed to rise. From a distance it seemed to both of us like a dark patch and we thought it was an Uriel and began to stalk towards it. What was our surprise, however, when as soon as we saw it stand there facing us with its glistening white eyes as big as hen's eggs, it sneered and ripped the mountainside with a kick of its forefeet and disappeared. The mountain shook and the Subeda trembled while I stood bravely where I was and laughed till I wept with joy at my good luck in having seen so marvelous a manifestation of the devil god of the tribe of rams. I tell you, son, please, God, I shall show him to you one, one of these days. Labu, you don't mean to say so, I said, half incredulous, though I was fascinated by the chimera. Of course I mean to say so, silly boy, said Labu. This is nothing compared to the other vision that was vouchsafed to me, praise be to God, when I was on the journey to Ladakh, hunting with Jolly John Sahib. And he began to relate a fantastic story of a colossal snake, which was so improbable that even I did not believe it. Oh, you are a fool, Labu, I said, and you are a liar. Everybody says so, and I don't believe you at all. My mother says I am silly to believe you and your tales. All right, then if you don't believe my stories, why do you come here to listen to them, he said, with wounded pride. Go, I shall never teach you anything more, and I shall certainly not let you accompany me to the arts. All right, I said, chagrined and stubborn, I don't want to speak to you either. And I ran home, bursting with indignation at having forced a quarrel upon Labu, when really he only told me his stories for my amusement. Labu went away for a while on a hunting tour with the Subedar. He didn't come back to the village when this tour finished, because Subedar Deep Singh's eldest son, Kuldeep Singh, who was lieutenant in the army, took him for a trip across the Himalayas to Nepal. During this time, though I regretted Labu's absence, I lent my ear readily to the malicious misrepresentation of his character that the Subedar and his employers occasionally also my father indulged in. Because though superior to Labu by caste, they were not such good shots as he was. He can only wait by a forest pool or a safe footpath to shoot at some unfortunate beast, this Labu, said the Subedar. And often he shoots in the dark with that inefficient powder gun of his. He is no good except for tracking. Yes, said my father, he is a vain boaster and, and a liar. The only beast he dared to shoot at while he was with me was a hare, and even that he hit in the leg. I waited eagerly for Labu's return to confirm from his very mouth 
these stories of his incompetence because though incredulous of this scandal i had been driven to a frenzy of chagrin by his insulting dismissal of me i thought i would ask him point blank whether he was really as bad a hunter as the subedar and my father made him out to be when labu came back however he limped about and seemed ill it was very sad to see him broken and dispirited and i forgot all the scandal i had heard about him in my bafflement at the sudden change that had come into his character for he was now no longer the garrulous man who sat telling stories to old men and young boys but a stranger a rascent creature who lay in stupor all day moaning and murmuring to himself in a prolonged delirium except that he occasionally hobbled out with a huge staff in his hand in the evening i was afraid to go near him because he always wore a forbidding angry look but the villagers didn't seem to think there was anything the matter with labu as i heard them say now that we have no patience with him and his stories he spends most of his time telling them to himself the fool i owed a loyalty to labu for i had discovered a kinship in my makeup for all those extravagances for which shikari was so well known so i went up to him one day as he lay on a broken string bed near his mud hut under the precarious shelter which a young people gave him you have returned then master labu i said yes he said i have been back some time son i looked for you but you did not seem to be about but you know the man who is slain cannot walk even to his own house this leg of mine pains me and i can't get about as i used to what happened to your leg then i asked realizing that he had forgotten all about our past calls and was as kind and communicative to me as before did you fall down a cliff or something no he said in a tired voice and he kept quiet for a long while what happened then i persisted you know son labu began at first pale and hesitant then smiling and lifting his eyebrows in the familiar manner of the old days i went on a hunting tour in the pay of the subedar's eldest son kuldeep singh and some of his friends well we were we went to nepal through the kulu valley they had no experience of hunting in this or in any other part of the world and i led them across such trails as i knew and such as the local shikaris told me about that boy kuldeep i don't know what he does in the army but he can't shoot at any range and the sahibs with him were clumsy for blind white men i would point to a beast with my stick and though they could see the hide before their eyes they bungled with their guns and were too noisy on their feet and away crashed the bull which we had been tracking i would grunt shrug my shoulders and did not mind because they were like children 
They had finished hundreds of cartridges and had not shot anything and daily begged me to help them to secure some game. At first I told them that game doesn't taste sweet unless it is shot by oneself. But at length I took pity on them and thought that I would secure them a good mixed bag. I shot 12 tigers with my gun and 15 panthers in the course of 7 days and many stags. On the 8th day we saw a monster which had the body of a wild bear, the head of a reindeer, the feet of a goat, the tail of a wild bull and a glistening fibrous tissue all around it like the white silken veil which the Rani of Bundi wore when she came to visit Suvedar Dilip Singh's wife. Kuldeep Singh and the sahibs were very frightened of this apparition and said it was the devil himself who had the shape of an earthly being and who would soon breathe a breath which would mix with the still air of the night and poison life. They were all for killing it outright, while I was sure that it was only a princess of the royal house of Nepal who had been transformed by some magician into this fantastic shape and size, and I wanted to catch it alive and bring it home to be my bride. Labu went on to relate how beautiful she was and how he resolved to restore her to her normal self by reading magical incantations. I told her I loved her, he continued, and she smiled shyly. But some fool, I think it was the Subedar's son, fired a volley of shots which frightened her so that she ran, became one with the air and began to ascend the snowy peaks of Kailash Parbat. I was bent on rescuing my beloved and I leaped from one mountain to another, calling after her to stop. But that idiot Kuldeep and the sahibs kept on shooting and roused the magician who kept guard over her. And this evil sage threw a huge mountain of snow at me to kill me. I just blew a hot breath and the mountain of snow cracked into a million pieces and hung about the sky like glittering stars. Then the magician struck the earth with his feet and opened up a grave to bury me alive. I leapt right across the fissure and found myself on a peak in the land of the Lama who never dies. By now, of course, the magician had hidden the beauty away in some cave. So I gave up the chase as there was the doom of death about his beauty. Anyhow, and I made one leap across the Himala for home. And as you landed this side of the mountain, you sprained your foot, I said. Labu lifted his eyebrows funnily in the manner of the old days and laughingly said, Have I told you this story before then? That was The Liar, a short story written by Mulk Rajanand. A lie is a statement that has no basis in reality and it is about something that never actually happened. People tell lies with different motives. Sometimes they do it to deceive others, gain a benefit or even harm others. 
but all lies are not created equal. Many lies are small, aiming to impress the listener. But there are also big lies. These are falsehoods that have some fictional quality to them. A big lie can also be harmless or it could be told to achieve a nefarious purpose as well. Labu, the main character in this story, is an accomplished hunting guide, but he gets no respect for his work. His employer belittles his work and he has no credibility with other folks in the village. The need for recognition is, however, a basic human need. But those who belong to low costs do not get any credit for their work. Since the job that Labu is doing doesn't get him any appreciation, he creates a fictional world in which he plays the hero's role. So he is a liar at one level, but another he is trying to fulfill his basic need for self-respect and self-recognition. It is challenging to label Labu one way or the other. I will be back next week bringing another creative work of short fiction. Please do press the plus or follow button so that you continue to get information about this podcast. I am Surinder Deol, the bearer of good tidings, saying goodbye.